Chapter Two of the House of the Wolfings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. The House of the Wolfings. A Tale of the House of the Wolfings and All the Kindreds of the Mark. Written in prose and in verse. By William Morris. Chapter Two, The Flitting of the War Arrow. Tells the tale that it was an evening of summer, when the wheat was in the ear, but yet green, and the neat herds were done driving the milch kind to the byre, and the horse herds and the shepherds had made the night shift, and the outgoers were riding two by two and one by one through the lanes between the wheat and the rye towards the meadow. Round the cots of the thralls, were gathered knots of men and women, both thralls and freemen, some talking together, some hearkening a song or a tale, some singing and some dancing together, and the children gambling about from group to group with their shrill and tuneless voices, like young throstles who have not yet learned the song of their race. With these were mingled dogs, dun of colour, long of limb, sharp-nosed, gaunt and great, they took little heed of the children as they pulled them about in their play, but lay down or loitered about, as though they had forgotten the chase and the wildwood. Merry was the folk with that fair tide, and the promise of the harvest, and the joy of life, and there was no weapon among them so close to the houses, save here and there the boar-spear of some herdman or herdwoman, late come from the meadow. Tall and for the most part calmly were both men and women the most of them light-haired and grey eyes, with cheekbones somewhat high, white of skin but for the sun's burning, and the wind's parching, and whereas they were tanned of a very ruddy and cheerful hue. But the thralls were some of them of a shorter and darker breed, black-haired also and dark-eyed, lighter of limb, sometimes better knit, but sometimes crookeder of leg and naughtier of arm but some also were of build and hue not much unlike to the freemen, and these doubtless came of some other folk of the Goths which had given way in battle before the men of the mark, either they or their fathers. Moreover some of the freemen were unlike their fellows and kindred, being slenderer and closer-knit, and black-haired, but grey-eyed withal, and amongst these were one or two who exceeded in beauty all others of the house. Now the sun was set, and the glooming was at point to begin, and the shadowless twilight lay upon the earth. The nightingales on the borders of the wood sang ceaselessly from the scattered hazel-trees above the greensward, where the grass was cropped down close by the nibbling of the rabbits. But in spite of their song and the diverse voices of the menfolk about the houses, it was an evening on which sounds from aloof can be well heard, since noises carry far at such tides. Suddenly they who were on the edges of those throngs and were the less noisy, held themselves as if to listen, and a group that had gathered about a minstrel to hear his story, fell hearkening also round about the silenced and hearkening tale-teller. Some of the dancers and singers noted them, and in their turn stayed the dance and kept silence to hearken, and so from group to group spread the change, till all were straining their ears to hearken the tidings. Already the men of the night-shift had heard it, and the shepherds of them had turned about, 
and were trotting smartly back through the lanes of the tall wheat. But the horse-herds were now scarce seen on the darkening meadow, as they galloped on fast toward their herds, to drive home the stallions. For what they had heard was the tidings of war. There was a sound in the air as of a humble-bee close to the ear of one lying on a grassy bank, or whiles as of a cow afar in the meadow lowing in the afternoon when milking-time draws nigh. But it was ever shriller than the one, and fuller than the other, for it changed at whiles, though after the first sound of it it did not rise or fall, because the eve was windless. You might hear at once that for all it was afar it was a great and mighty sound, nor did any that hearkened doubt what it was, but all knew it for the blast of the great war-horn of the Elkings, whose roof lay up Mirkwood water next to the roof of the Wolfings. So those little throngs broke up at once, and all the freemen, and of the thralls a good many, flocked both men and women to the man's door of the hall, and streamed in quietly and with little talk, as men knowing that they should hear all in due season. Within, under the hall-sun, amidst the woven stories of time past, sat the elders and chief warriors on the dais, and amidst of all a big strong man of forty winters, his dark beard a little grizzled, his eyes big and grey. Before him on the board lay the great war-horn of the wolfings, carved out of the tusk of a sea-whale of the north, and with many devices on it, and the wolf amidst them all, its golden mouthpiece and rim wrought finely with flowers. There it abode the blowing, until the spoken word of some messenger should set forth the tidings borne on the air by the horn of the Elkings. But the name of the dark-haired chief was Theodulf, to wit, Folk-Wolf, and he was deemed the wisest man of the Wolfings, and the best man of his hands, and of heart most dauntless. Beside him sat the fair woman called the Hall-Son, for she was his foster-daughter before men's eyes, and she was black-haired and grey-eyed, like to her fosterer, and never was woman fashioned fairer. She was young of years, scarce twenty winters old. There sat the chiefs and elders on the dais, and round about stood the kindred intermingled with the thralls, and no man spake, for they were awaiting sure and certain tidings. And when all were come in who had a mind to, there was so great a silence in the hall, that the song of the nightingales on the wood-edge sounded clear and loud therein, and even the chink of the bats about the upper windows could be heard. Then amidst the hush of the menfolk, and the sounds of the life of the earth, came another sound that made all turn their eyes toward the door, and this was the pad-pad of one running on the trodden and summer-dried ground anigh the hall. It stopped for a moment at the man's door, and the door opened, and the throng parted, making way for the man that entered, and came hastily up to the midst of the table that stood on the dais athwart the hall, and stood there panting, holding forth in his outstretched hand something which not all could see in the dimness of the hall twilight, but which they all knew nevertheless. The man was young, lithe, and slender, and had no raiment but linen breeches round his middle, and skin shoes on his feet. As he stood there, gathering his breath for speech, Theodolf stood up, and poured mead into a drinking-horn, and held it out towards the newcomer, and spake, but in rhyme and measure. "'Welcome, thou evening fairer, and holy be thine head! 
since thou hast sought unto us in the heart of the wolfing's stead. Drink now of the horn of the mighty, and call a health if thou wilt, or the eddies of the mead-horn to the washing out of guilt. For thou comest to the peace of the wolfings, and our very guest thou art, and meseems as I behold thee, that I look on a child of the heart. But the man put the horn from him with a hasty hand, and none said another word to him until he had gotten his breath again, and then he said, All hail, ye wood-wolf's children! Not may I drink the wine, for the mouth and the maw that I carry this eve are not of mine, and my feet are the feet of the people, since the word went forth that tide. O elf here of the heartings, no longer shalt thou bide in any house of the markmen than to speak the word and wend, till all men know the tidings, and thine errand hath an end. Behold, O wolves, the token, and say if it be true. I bear the shaft of battle that is fourwise cloven through, and its each end dipped in the blood-stream, both the iron and the horn, and its midmost scathed with the fire, and the word that I have borne along with this war-token is, Wolfings of the Mark, whenso ye see the war-shaft by the daylight or the dark, busk ye to battle faring, and leave all work undone, save the gathering for the hand-play at the rising of the sun. Three days hence is the hosting, and thither bear along your wains and your kine for the slaughter, lest the journey should be long. For great is the folk, saith the tidings, that against the markmen come. In a far-off land is their dwelling, when so they sit at home. And Welsh is their tongue, and we wot not of the word that is in their mouth, as they march a many together from the cities of the south. Therewith he held up yet for a minute the token of the war-arrow ragged and burnt and bloody, and turning about with it in his hand, went his ways through the open door, none hindering. And when he was gone, it was as if the token were still in the air there against the heads of the living men, and the heads of the woven warriors, so intently had they gazed at it, and none doubted the tidings or the token. Then said Theodulf, Forth will we, wolfing children, and cast a sound abroad. The mouth of the sea-beast's weapon shall speak the battle-word. And ye warriors hearken and hasten, and dight the weed of war, and then to acre and meadow wend ye adown no more. For this work shall be for the women to drive our neat from the mead, and to yoke the wains, and to load them as the men of war have need. Out then they streamed from the hall, and no man was left therein save the fair hall-son, sitting under the lamp whose name she bore. But to the highest of the slope they went, where was a mound made higher by man's handiwork. Thereon stood Theodolf and handled the horn, turning his face toward the downward course of murkwood water, and he set the horn to his lips, and blew a long blast, and then again, and yet again the third time, and all the sounds of the gathering night were hushed under the sound of the roaring of the war-horn of the wolfings. And the kin of the beamings heard it as they sat in their hall, and they gat them ready to hearken to the bearer of the tidings, who should follow on the sound of the war-blast. But when the last sound of the horn had died away, then said Theodolf, Now, wolfing children, hearken, what the splintered war-shaft saith, the fire-scathed, blood-stained aspen, we shall ride for life or death. We warriors, a long journey with the herd and with the wain, 
but unto this our homestead shall we wend us back again, all the gleanings of the battle, and here for them that live shall stand the roof of the wolfings, and for them shall the meadow thrive, and the acres give their increase in the harvest of the year. Now is no long departing since the hall-sun bideth here, neath the holy roof of the fathers, and the place of the wolfing kin, and the feast of our glad returning shall yet be held therein. Here the bidding of the war-shaft, all men both thralls and free, twixt twenty winters and sixty, beneath the shield shall be, and the hosting is at the thingstead, the upper mark anigh, and we wend away to-morrow, ere the sun is noontide high." Therewith he stepped down from the mound, and went his way back to the hall, and manifold talk arose among the folk, and of the warriors some were already dight for the journey, but most not, and a many went their ways to see their weapons and horses, and the rest back again into the hall. By this time night had fallen, and between then and the dawning would be no darker hour, for the moon was just rising. A many of the horse-herds had done their business, and were now making their way back again through the lanes of the wheat, driving the stallions before them, who played together kicking, biting, and squealing, paying but little heed to the standing corn on either side. Light began to glitter now in the cots of the thralls, and brighter still in the smithies where already you might hear the hammers clinking on the anvils, as men fell to looking to their battle-gear. But the chief men and the women sat under their roof on the eve of departure, and the tons of mead were broached, and the horns filled and borne round by young maidens, and men ate and drank and were merry, and from time to time as some one of the warriors had done with giving heed to his weapons, he entered into the hall, and fell into the company of those whom he loved most, and by whom he was best beloved. And whilst they talked, and whilst they sang to the harp up and down that long house, and the moon risen high shone in at the windows, and there was much laughter and merriment, and talk of deeds of arms of the old days on the eve of that departure, till little by little weariness fell on them, and they went their ways to slumber, and the hall was fallen silent. End of chapter 2